Welcome back to the post-draft periodical podcast with me, Matthew O'Brien. First Matt- time in a long time back yeah, on the podcast. first time in a long time, but, uh, you know, we, annual tradition talking about the draft on the podcast, whether it was pre, post, during, we were going to work something out. It's a shame our uh, original plan of recording a bit during the fourth round kind of got shot to flames uh when florida moved two of the three picks uh in in the middle or in the early part of the fourth round that would have been the exciting part to record and and was the whole purpose and impetus for doing the show or or doing you know part of the show uh uh, there so we'll just do it all post um but nice it didn't help that they uh it it didn't help that they forced us to kind of digest some of their picks uh in those mid-rounds a little bit too before we can talk about them they were certainly uh interesting to say the least but i guess we'll get into that uh, in a little bit yeah initial impressions on the first day you know initial non non filter just gut reactions was who uh i wouldn't have done that or you know I, i i thought there was somebody else on my list that i would have i had a preference for i guess this is a better way to put it than i than i wouldn't have done it i don't want to be too negative but uh yeah it was what a head scratching uh is the best way to put it yeah you know you had to certainly uh you know scour some ends of the internet there to, to even find some information on some of the guys that they were taking there in the uh the third and fourth round uh, there wasn't a whole lot so uh, you know you're hoping you know, since they did take the chance and they did pick them that, you know, they had at least a lot more information uh, at their fingertips than was available, uh, you know, immediately to us. Yeah. And it definitely, you know, the, the more you get into some of their picks, uh, the more there's uh, rhyme and reason, as you would expect, you know, the more uh, you, you can narrow in on any team's picks, the, the more you can kind of fit a shoe. Uh, uh, so to speak, and kind of back your way into a, oh, I could see how this could work. Um, and uh, every team's scouts and every team and mo- the majority of the fans are, are pretty agnostic or or somewhat cautiously optimistic about what they have in the recent wrap-up after the draft. It, it's usually a, a few fan bases like Montreal or Philadelphia or something that can go make a draft real sour but other than that it's not really a big deal for a lot of fan bases yeah and i think too uh you know one of the things that that kind of frustrated me as the draft is going on uh with some of those picks by the panthers it it seems like they were back to kind of their old ways from a couple years ago where you know as you said we had you know players listed that you know, would have been good fits, would have been good picks there. And it seems like they're almost trying to outthink themselves uh, at the draft table and, and kind of go for, you know, maybe not a home run, but, you know, they kind of go a little off the board and try and find a hidden gem when, you know, there are there are easier diamonds to see in the rough. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know the, sun, the sun is still glinting off some of the diamonds that were available, and instead they... Uh, you know, they went digging a couple feet beneath the earth to try and find some. Yeah, the, um, some of the my early thoughts is that 
unlike other years where they put more diversity, they took some more skill up front, or they took some guys who fell, or Europeans that were underappreciated, they kind of went in more one direction, one in more long-term projects, some with more bottom six potential. Um, and I think we can kind of expand on that when we when we hit draft by draft pick, or, or I should say, when we hit pick by pick uh, going through Florida's uh, selections. But heading into the draft, the first round always really started at pick three. Uh, and that really turned out to be the case uh, with the Blackhawks picking uh, Kirby Dock, our you know my third rank center in in the rankings, a guy who has a pretty high basement, but his ceiling's also high. He plays through the middle of the ice. He's a playmaker. He's getting more defensively responsible and. Well, a lot of scouts will knock uh, his point production or say it wasn't as high as some of the others, like uh, fellow WHLer uh, Dylan Cozens. Uh, he really had, he really did take a lot more uh, focus and attention in, in the defensive zone and defensive zone minutes, and uh, I, I think that did have an impact on his his production. For me, he can still end up being a 70 80 point guy in the nhl uh if he hits his ceiling if you know he does fill you know fill out his potential his skating isn't as much of a knock as others have it and he's the guy that i think best fits chicago's need uh and profile uh Alex Turcotte also was was who I thought they were going to take and a good choice. Uh, you know, with everyone liking the USHL guys, I thought that was going to be the the clear cut favorite. Um, were you surprised that it was that it was Doc in Chicago? I mean, I mean, not really. Uh, you know, I think uh, it helps that they do still have Jonathan Taves. Uh, you know, to kind of uh, take the pressure off of Doc in, in the first couple years. Uh, and he's a fantastic guy to learn under. Uh, so it's not like immediately, uh, you know, whereas Turcotte in, in L.A. might um, might kind of be thrust into a, a position that is maybe above his head, uh, you know, to start. Doc at least gets to start, uh, you know, no better than the second line. So he gets to kind of ease in. What, uh, did Anze Kobitar just die? <laughs> that's true. But, I mean, you know, they do – the Kings – it wouldn't surprise me if, if the Kings tried to unload Kopitar, uh, you know, and, and kind of go through with the rebuild uh, completely. Um, you know, they are on the older end. Um, and Turcotte might be expected to do a little more uh, in L.A. than Doc is in Chicago. Um, you know, Chicago, A, isn't really expected to do much. I mean, I guess neither are the Kings, but – uh, you know, I think they would want um, – they either have to go through with a rebuild uh, in, in L.A. or, uh, you know, they have to kind of go for it um, in the next couple of years. And whereas I think the Blackhawks have a, a different approach, uh, you know, with, with letting go of Quenville and all that. I, I do think that they have solidified themselves as a kind of taking a couple of years to rebound. And I think the Kings are still kind of in 
uh, kind of no man's land, uh, you know, in regards to their roster and, and the direction that they want to go. Uh, so, I mean, I, they couldn't have gone wrong with either of those two. Um, and, and, you know, it didn't surprise me Doc overturned out there. I'm with you, and and obviously LA isn't gonna isn't gonna not take Turcotte. Uh I know there's a lot of love for Zgros, um, but you know with Rob Blake as the general manager, uh, and even though they need skill, I think that there's you know more um, Rob Blake type centers out there. Uh, more specifically, more center of the ice, more meat and potatoes type type players uh and, and Cozens maybe would have fit that but I also could see him ending up on the wing as well uh, and and I would and I would have liked to think that LA would let one another center um and, and just really build up the that center strength because um, that's what won them the that first cup and the, that second cup and yeah th- there's no yeah. reason not to try to build off of that um and it's what happened and ha- what got Blake a a Stanley Cup in Colorado as well. Speaking of Colorado, segue. Uh, Bowen Byram. <laughs> <laughs> Bowen Byram. Uh, and this was a, a pick I really liked. Colorado just really had a... I would give him a B-plus for the draft if I had to, you know, get shoved into a letter grade. I'll go into letter grades later, but I, you know, more before like a, like a 10 scale. Um, but I... I I would have preferred a forward there, but I like that Colorado's coming out and much like Nashville, sticking to their strength in the first round, taking, you know, what many would call best player available and best defender available and but a type of defenseman that they're very good with, they're very capable of developing, getting into the NHL, productive and successful in the NHL. And like Nashville, able to use that to get some wins or use it to uh, get some assets coming in in, in a trade. So I like it. Um, and with the 16th overall in the back end, uh, they could really you know pick up a d- different type of position if they felt the need for something else. And that's a mid-first rounder. It's not you, – you, you're still able to – fill any hole it's still a potential nhler in the next couple of years and and yeah colorado has been blessed uh over the last couple of seasons with having uh you know some moderate success in the standings and everything uh, but also the ability to still you know have some some decently high draft picks and some some very talented draft picks and they've had a lot of success developing uh you know a lot of these players um and colorado Drafting and that Matt Duchesne trade it has yeah. made a really successful rebuild when a lot of people used to make fun of them, and I just I think that's great. Yeah, and Colorado read this situation and, and understands that the division that they're in, uh, it is very tight. It's very close. It is you know I don't even think arguably anymore the best division in hockey. Uh, you know it, it went down to the final day of the season to to figure out who was going to finish first and. Uh, you know, there was there was three different teams that in first place, uh, you know, at one point in the day on the last day of the season. Um, and, you know, to be able to kind of bolster that blue line a little bit, you know, they're kind of inserting themselves into that conversation of, uh, you know, if they stole, you know, just a couple more games uh, throughout the season, 
you know, they would have been in the mix as well, uh, you know, to be division winners. So, uh, you know, Colorado is so very close to, uh, you know, that central division as a whole it, it, between first place and, and last place is it, it's pretty tight in that central division. So, um, you, you know, you do need to constantly get better. You do need to constantly uh, evaluate your roster in that division. I think more than any other division, because, uh, you know, there is not a lot of room for error and, it, you know, three losses here and there to a division opponent, uh, you know, could be the difference between, you know, finishing first and, and finishing fifth and potentially not making the playoffs. Um, and, 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 you know, like I said, they did a, a very good job, uh, you know, being successful last season and, and having the playoff run that they did and then still be able to, uh, you know, get a top four uh, draft pick and get a, you know, the best D in the draft uh, or one of the top D in the draft uh, to add to their roster, uh, whether next year or, you know, a year or two from now um, and, and continue to, you know, push forward and try to be, uh, you know, the standard in that central division. Maurice Cedar at six is Maurice Cider at six is where the draft really went downhill and, and the first domino and what led to the Panthers um, drafting Spencer Knight, but also what led to a lot of European defensemen getting drafted earlier. And if I got anything right about this draft, uh, it wasn't anything about individual prospects or where they would go or where they'd end up, but more in general that the defensemen and the goalies, especially those coming from Europe, would go um, higher than usual and uh, would be more coveted um, than than, uh, speculated. I think that's a very ballsy pick by Iserman, and uh, like a few of the other uh, GMs and, and their decisions on, on day one, uh, I, I, I like it. I like the direction and, and the path and the theme he's going for. Uh, Detroit was another team I really liked, a lot of Swedes, uh, and then, you know, the, a big pick like this. He, he tried to trade down, but he didn't, you know, end up liking any of the, the, the packages he would have got, so he just made his pick at six and uh i I like that um yeah it shows a lot of strength from the gm uh that you know to still go you know with the guy that you wanted to even though uh you know you could have gotten him later and you could have traded down and and, you know maybe gotten something else from it but if you don't like the deals uh you know why change the way you think and why change you know the plan that you had going into the draft just because other teams didn't kind of fill your needs uh, for a trade, and Stevie I, I think Y has a reputation of, to protect. He can't be accepting it, below his standards. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think that that you know is something that the Red Wings will benefit from. Uh, you know, down the line, it, it is that kind of steadfastness in in his beliefs uh, and and his team's ability uh, that he showed. Uh, you know, without you know not jumping the gun on trades in Tampa Bay and, and all that, you know, it is uh, tough sometimes to, you know, stay with your gut and, and stay with the decision that you've made. Um, and, and I think that you do see those uh, and feel those effects throughout the entire organization when you have a strong general manager that that is willing to do that instead of, you know, bowing to pressure or, or anything like that um, or, you know, changing the plan uh, you know, mid-flight, uh, just because, 
you know, things are, are, aren't working out the way you want to, uh, you know, sometimes you do just have to kind of weather the storm and put your head down and, and get through it and be confident in your abilities and your judgments uh, that you made the right, right decision. Seven, Buffalo, Dylan Cozens. Uh, I, you know, really like the player. I, I don't think that there's too much. I don't want to spend too much time uh, of this podcast on him uh, and this pick just because I think, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. Good pick for Buffalo. They need everything. It was kind of best player available. Uh, same with nine, Trevor Zegras. Uh, you know, a lot of people would say that's the best center available and Anaheim definitely needs a center um, yeah with Kessler and Getzlaff uh, being on the way out Anaheim was in need of that eight uh, you know just jumping back uh, to eight Philip Broberg uh, Edmonton makes sense a lot of people didn't think Broberg would go that high I uh, I in my mock I didn't have him just because going to Edmonton, just because I I never believe Edmonton would would take a defenseman this high. We make the right choice. Yeah, I mean they they got Nurse, but other than that, uh, they usually tend to just stick with the best player available. And with some of the forwards that were there after, um, you know, Maurice Cedar and, uh, you know, I think the Avs taking a D at four after Doc wasn't a sure thing. Turcott was you know a possibility, and then maybe Byram could have fell down a little bit further too um but I, I think a lot of people didn't boldy i heard a lot of boldy at edmonton and, and i like that uh pod colson would have made sense because you're getting a very high skill winger for mcdavid um i could have seen caulfield because that's a guy that you you'd love to put with mcdavid um if if his if he can score those goals in the nhl that that's an easy easy bet but defensively you could have seen them taking Victor Soderstrom or, or someone like a Maurice Sider if he was still there someone who has maybe more potential in the D zone if uh you know what some scouts are saying about Phil Broberg is, is true that he's just going to be a bust but you know not us we we, we like him uh, and unfortunately for us that means Edmonton Oilers made a good pick and this will probably end up with Phil Broberg having some stunted development and, you know, just being a second pair guy instead of really filling out and, and being that first pair guy. Yeah. I mean, there's always the worry with Edmonton that, you know, since it's not a, a first overall pick that it, that it won't pan out. And they've even had uh, not so much luck with some of their first round picks or first overall picks as well. So, uh, you know, Broberg will be an interesting watch uh, over the next couple of years in his development uh, to see if, you know, Edmonton does, uh, you know, start getting on the right path and, and start developing players that, that they need on their roster. Um, you know, they've been such a mess over the last decade or so. Um, but this is, you know, hopefully for them, uh, you know, a step in the right direction. They, they at least didn't, uh, it, you know, they at least stuck to what they needed and, and didn't just take a, another forward that they don't need. Uh, so encouraging things uh, there for Edmonton. Absolutely, and that pop you just heard was me cracking open a nice little victory no-brainer IPA because the next thing we're going to talk about is Vancouver, Vasily Petkolzin at 10. Um, another another prospect people thought, you know, could have slipped outside the top 10. I knew that, you know, 10, 11, 12 was, was where he'd, he'd stop, even with his two. I was like you. 
I'll let you take it away. Um, that you finally heard somebody, somebody in the media step up and say that not taking someone because of a KHL contract is stupid. Yeah, they were talking about it in the draft. Uh, you know, when that pick was made, that you know it's time to stop being worried about these Russians because they're under contract in the KHL. Uh, you know, there's been countless other examples of teams that you know Vladimir Tarasenko won. Um, the Blues had to wait. I, I, four years for him to, to finally come over. And it, it's worth the wait. Um, and, and, you know, especially in addition to that JT Miller trade we were discussing, it, it's not like Vancouver is expecting, uh, you know, Pukholzin to have been on the roster next year anyway, even if he wasn't under contract or, you know, even if he could have been, they might have given him some development time, uh, you know, off the NHL roster. Uh, they still have a couple years to go to, to kind of complete their their rebuild and their turnaround. That you know, let him finish out his contract there. The the goal for almost any hockey player worldwide at at any level and at any age is to play in the NHL. Uh, that's what they strive for. You know, that's why they play the game is to lift the Stanley Cup. Uh, and so just because they do have a contract in a different league um, and you know, it, it just goes back to, you know, I, I think it's just phobias from, you know, these, these are older guys that, that maybe lived through the Cold War and stuff like that, um, that they just don't trust them. They, they don't think that they actually want to come over or, or something like that. But, you know, for the skill that some of these players have, uh, you know, having to wait two years that, at 10th overall anyway, you might have to wait two years for an NHL impact regardless – uh, right, so to exactly. not take someone just because they have a contract and, and you know, it, and that's the other thing. It, it's a contract in a professional league. This, um, and, you, you know, know, some would say is the second or third best professional league. Yeah. You know, they're still developing at a high level. They're still playing against some of the best players in the world. Uh, you know, like you said, arguably the best players in the world outside of the NHL. Um, and, and with the success that Russians have had in the NHL, uh, you know, since they started coming over, uh, it's been incredible and it's, it's definitely worth the risk. And, and as long as you, uh, you know, as a team kind of keep them informed, keep them in the loop on, on where they stand and what they need to work on, you know, while they are over in Russia and, and are under contract, uh, you know, there should be no reason why they wouldn't want to come over anyway. Uh, you know, especially a guy drafted number 10, it's not like he's not going to make the money over, over North America that he's going to make in Russia. You know, they might be able to pay him a little more uh, over there, but at the end of the day... Like it's, in, said, it's in less valuable yeah, currency. Yeah, you know. It's, and at it's the end not of the in the day, best currency. Everyone does want that chance to, to play for the Stanley Cup. And, you know, I would think he even has teammates over in Russia that, you know, think he's lucky and, uh, you know, would be telling him, you know, as soon as you get over there do it because i would i i would kill for the chance to play in the nhl and play for a stanley cup uh so you know it is time that we you know kind of remove that bias and remove that uh just because they are under contract because at the end of the day that that, that's kind of what you want and and i mean it's not like uh you know while it is easier to get major junior players into the nhl uh you know before their contracts out there it's not like they're not under contract with the team and and, you know, have restrictions on their ability to play in the NHL. Uh, so it, it always kind of felt wrong to me that, that teams would not take 
a player like Pakolzin, uh, you know, just because he has a, a contract in Russia. And, I, and I'm glad to hear, you know, talking heads on on NBC Sports, uh, you know, finally address that and kind of say that, yeah, it's crazy that you wouldn't take a guy with that much skill because uh, he has a KHL contract. Yeah, and, and I'm surprised that it actually took till 10. Uh, you know, I can see, you know, there are some skating concerns and he did have a little bit of an up and down year, so I can see five, six, seven, but 10's, 10's a little crazy for me. Matthew Baldy, Minnesota, 12. Uh, but the real thing we want to talk about is, tw- is 11 and 13. 11 is domino two to fall. And George Richards and others uh, I've seen talk about this. Um, Arizona was so sure that Florida was going to be taking Victor Soderstrom at 13 and possibly be possibly even trading up uh, to 11 to get Victor Soderstrom that they traded up to 11 to get Victor Soderstrom and that let Florida get night at 13 um, first I think Soderstrom in Arizona is a great pick. I know a lot of people said you trade that Chica, the GM of Arizona, traded up to just take a reach at Soderstrom, but there's there's enough of people who had him anywhere from eight to fifteen in the draft that uh, eleven isn't too scary. Uh, and with um, you know my in my opinion, elite skating. NHL ready def- defense and transition game and uh, potential to be a, a second power play quarterback uh, in the NHL um, or at least a second power play maybe even first power play player it might not be the quarterback but uh, you know a player um, it, it makes sense at 11 for Arizona a team that uh, is has OEL uh, and needs to give them some support they have Chikrin um, but I think they needed that steadying, um, kind of do everything type of defenseman, and, and that's Soderstrom. Yeah, I thought it was a great pick by by Arizona. I was kind of intrigued that Philadelphia was willing to to give up that pick, uh, especially given the way that the rest of their draft went. Uh, you would thought, you, you know, you would have thought that Soderstrom to Philadelphia at eleven would have been, uh, you know, a great pick as well. Um, and especially for the Flyers to then turn around and take Cam York. Uh, you know, I just thought that that was an, an interesting move on the Flyers' part uh, to kind of trade down and then take a, a D that uh, I'm not as high on it as I am on Soderstrom. So, you know, especially defensive-wise, uh, uh, an area that the Flyers do really need. Um, you know, I just thought that that was a, a, a weird trade, and they made up for it a little bit by then flipping the, the 45th uh, that they got in that trade as well, uh, you know, to swap picks with Arizona uh, and moved up a little bit there. But it, it still, from a Flyers perspective, didn't make much sense to me because they could have and, and probably should have just picked Soderstrom at 11 anyway. Uh, you know, it, it boils down to, regardless, I don't think... Uh, at 13, Soderstrom would have been there for the Panthers to take, regardless if it was Arizona or Philadelphia making that pick. Right, and and kind of what 
you glean from hearing Arizona jumping up to 11 to get Soderstrom because they were convinced that Florida was jumping up. I mean, the story is really coming from, you know, Towns and Florida is more tight-lipped about what they do, especially now. Um, you know, is more that Arizona saying that they felt they had to jump up to get Soderstrom at 11 because they were convinced Florida was jumping up to get him. And that makes sense that, you know, where would Florida be jumping up 10 and 11, you know? Yeah, and, you know, it does, again, though, that that still just is confusing from a Flyers perspective that you had two teams willing to, you know, potentially two teams willing to to swap picks with you uh, in order to get, you know, a defenseman on their roster that Philadelphia really could use. Yeah, would fit their name. I think from, yeah. from Philadelphia's perspective, uh, at least how I'm I'm seeing it, is they believe or they thought that they were going to get somebody else uh, at, at 14 other than Cam York, or they're really high on Cam York. They said they had him uh, in the top 10, but they also, you know, Fletcher also wouldn't say that York was the pick at 11. Um, and, and so to me that means that they you know they did take somebody different they took york uh who was not their plan at 11 like you're saying you don't understand why they would defer to get york maybe they thought they'd be able to get boldy uh who minnesota took at 12 maybe they misjudged that um or maybe they understand that they're gonna be moving ghosts ghosts out they're gonna be maybe moving sandheim or Proval out because of contract issues um, and that over and you know it's definitely Hog and Morin or one of them will be gone in the near future. So maybe he's just trying to take a long-term high potential defenseman in Cam York uh, at 14. And yeah, maybe it's a bit early, but you know he inherited a pretty good prospect pool, and he's early in his tenure where he can kind of take risks without getting you know the 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 fear of being fired or, or placed under the gun. Um, you know, at least that's you know that's one way to look at it. I don't think it was a bad move for Philadelphia because it does make that Braun trade a little more digestible. Um, you know, you're, you're they traded a 41, which was you know my real issue in that trade, and to, to get the 45th back, which then they, uh, you know, how they used it is a different story. But they 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 replaced it um, pretty quickly with a very similar pick that. Uh, it, you know that Braun trade looks a little better now, uh, and I don't mind giving up Soderstrom, at least in theory, just because they do have such a good defensive uh, pool right now. And even though it'd be nice to get Soderstrom, they can they can withstand it. It's not you know an embarrassment. Uh, yeah, it's like certainly a better way to look at it than that they really wanted Bobby Brink at that 34th overall pick, uh, which is another way to maybe look at the trade that, you know, that they were right. fine with any of the first round defensemen, but really did want someone early in the second round. And that was, you know, the whole impetus for, for trading for that 45th and then and trading up for the 34th. Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, the, it, it could be that, you know, they didn't really see much difference in any of the first round D or at least, you know, between, you know, all the guys around there and Cam York and Soderstrom and, and all that, that, you know, they were fine with just about any of those, but really did want that forward early in the second round. Absolutely. Let's skip Spencer Knight. I think we'll get into that when we get into the Panthers. Um, 
Cole Caulfield makes sense in Montreal. They love small Americans. Well, they love Americans lately. Some aren't always small, but they love Americans lately. And they've, you know, since we were kids, really, they've loved small forwards. Uh, yeah. And that yeah, least fit in nice in Montreal. At least this one is what a lot of people would say is best player available. We're kind of into that territory where I would start drafting Cole Caulfield at fifteen. Um, and if, if anything, if you want to bet on anything in these mid teen picks, uh, it's on goals. So Montreal, you know, needs a little bit of everything to make Carey Price's contract worthwhile. He's a guy I could see, you know, maybe taking two years, three years to get to the NHL, but when he does, it's a big impact. And hopefully, you know, that gives Bergeron two, three years to fill out the rest of the squad and get them into deep playoff runs. Yeah, and, you know, no, no issues with, with Montreal taking that, you know, Cole Caulfield at that position. You know, that they need some offensive help, uh, especially in the, in the near future. So, uh, you know, they got a good player, and, uh, you know, I think he'll do well there. I think he'll fit in with the style that they try and play and, uh, you know, can be successful in Montreal almost more than, than maybe anywhere. Yeah, Peyton Krebs is probably the only other player you could see them taking there. Maybe a little bit bigger, a center, something else that they could use. But, you know, the way Ryan Poland finished this season, getting the way Suzuki, the way, getting Suzuki in, in a trade um, for Pacioretty, I think is a reason they could back off. Krebs had that Achilles injury. I know you don't want to harp on that or really ding him for it because uh, it was, you know, just a little tear and he should, you know, be able to bounce back at his age from that pretty easily. But Krebs, while he he wasn't such a such a slam dunk that they, they couldn't take Caulfield, really. Um, Newhook at 16, I, you know, I think Colorado definitely has the need at center they have the NHL forward roster where they can wait for new hook to really um, mature round out his game make the transition from the BCHL to the NCA uh, and then to the AHL and then the NHL and really slow play it and, and hit on that potential make that 16th overall worth it I'm, I'm not sure. I think that was too much of a project for me at 16 with some of the other guys on the board. I would have preferred Peyton Krebs or um, even, you know, Ryan Suzuki possibly. But a lot of people, we had precarious photo, Trev, uh, on the the podcast earlier to do the draft. And he, he swears by new hook. He thinks he should have been, you know, a top 10 type of guy. He's really intelligent. He doesn't think this is going to be a Tyson Jost BCHL first round pick situation. So if you're an Avs fan, like, you know, we're all kind of starting to turn out to be with how exciting they are to watch. Um, This is a guy who's intelligent and can, can complement that can um, be exciting as well and plays at a high pace. So it will fit in with what Colorado is trying to do. Just like Thomas Harley and Dallas will fit in with what they're trying to do. Um, they're trying to play smart and from the back and, and really control the puck possession from the back end. Harley definitely likes being engaged and being involved in the back end. 
Um, he's really young, and since they have a lot of defensemen, it'll allow him to take two years in the OHL, go through um, a pretty solid AHL program they have, and, and then make that move to the NHL. And uh, I, I like that, just like you know Ottawa at 19 taking Lassie Thompson. Uh, a little bit of a run on D there, uh, and possibly D that, that Florida could have taken. Um, Harley, Thompson, Hanola, uh, and Bjornfurt, uh going 18 through 22. Um, definitely in consideration. Uh, any thoughts on any of those defensemen? Yeah, I, I mean, I do like, uh, you know, Lassie Thompson in Ottawa. Ottawa is trying to, you know, completely reconfigure their defense uh, in the next couple of years, uh, you know, after they, they got rid of Eric Carlson. So, you know, just to have a, a, a quantity of uh, young defensemen uh, that might be able to be inserted and kind of rotated in and out over the next couple of years just to see, uh, you know, who's going to stick, who can make it, who can't, and, you know, see what value is and, and, and see, you know, what you can get for some of them. And, you know, I think for Ottawa, it always was going to be and, and always had to be a defenseman. Um, and, you know, they picked a good one. Uh, you know, maybe they could have went for Hanola. Um, the Jets did well to, you know, I think that's a good recoup from, from Truba and, uh, you know, might fit in a little better on their back line as well. Um, you know, that and, then going, me. Oh. and then going back to, you know, New Hope, the Avs have had some, some success and some maybe not so much success. Uh, with some BCHL players before. Uh, and, and I think, you know, taking Bo Byram fourth overall allowed them to kind of have more of a project forward at, at 16. Uh, and, and, you know, they don't need immediate forward help right now. So giving him the, the time to develop and everything, uh, you know, maybe he can turn into to a, a player on the roster that can contribute, uh, you know, maybe kind of like an Alex Kerfoot and, and players like that. Um, you know, and then Bjornfoot to, to LA uh, again. You know, Drew Doughty doesn't have you know a whole career left. Uh, he's he has some years left, but uh, you know Bjornfoot should hopefully be ready to go by the time he's kind of on the downswing and and be able to step in and and help keep uh, LA's blue line afloat there for a few years uh, while they try to you know adjust to life after Drew Doughty. Yeah, same type of aggressive, competitive, uh, in every play type defenseman. Never going to give up. Slider, you know, good leadership, uh, all of that. I thought Pittsburgh probably would have done well at twenty-one to get him. I had Pullian, uh, you know, a little further down. Uh, I I liked him. I like his overall skill set, but he seemed to just kind of float around the neutral zone as in, you know, he'd always kind of be in the neutral zone, high in the zone and the defensive zone, but then also be behind the zone F3 in the offensive zone. He didn't really move around too much. He kind of was like a lazy Giroux kind of in the queue. I guess I, I'd call that a little bit, but you know, I think Pittsburgh and Rutherford kind of have a ideal set of what they like to do in the, in with their first pick. And he, that would definitely be more of a Daniel Sprung uh, like pick, and, and I can understand that. Um, yeah, the only thing with Pittsburgh, though, you know, they still are drafting, and, and it seems like their plan going into drafts is still, uh, you know, to get players to play in the the Crosby Malkin system, uh, and, and they're not really forward thinking into what do we do 
when when they're you know off the team. I, you know, they do still have some years before uh, both those guys are, are gone or retired or anything. But uh, you know, I think now is as good a time as any for Pittsburgh to start. Uh, you know, really thinking it and really trying to formulate what kind of team they want to be, uh, you know, after uh, those two players are, are gone. Um, right. You know, like I said, it might have been a little early this year to, to try and, and draft for, you know, life after Crosby, but it is something I think moving forward that Pittsburgh's going to have to start thinking about. Uh, you can't keep, you know, getting wingers that will play well with Crosby uh, when, when Crosby's not going to be the guy that they're playing with uh, when they make the team right or you know he's going to need more support from outside centers and you ryan suzuki and philip tomasino and especially tomasino who went to nashville 24 i think would have also been really good options at, at 21 for for pittsburgh and uh it, i think they they kind of missed that opportunity um like you said to start making a transition and changing it up a little bit because um while leaning on Crosby and Malkin and 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 those guys is effective um you know they are getting older they are you know they do have injuries they do have more longer prolonged downswings where they can't impact the game as much anymore just as you know age starts to catch up a little bit and they can't yeah, do it you know, year if, after year. If you year learned anything year. from the playoffs for the, for the Penguins is, you know, you have to start thinking about something beyond those top two lines because when they get shut down, you have right. you have nothing else. Yeah, and, and Tomasino is is a big home run pick, and uh, I think Suzuki with his IQ and his high skill level um, as well, those are guys who could end up being number one centers uh, or at least really good uh, two centers, uh, and I think. You know, when you're thinking about Pittsburgh transitioning out of the Crosby phases, it does mean getting a new 2C because either Malkin will be gone or, uh, you know, I think that's, that is a reality they're going to face first uh, and before the Crosby one. Yeah. Uh, and, and they, they got to find, they got to start going there. Um, another pick uh, I really liked at the end of the first, because uh, the end of the first is where it gets a little more second roundy uh once you kind of get to pick 23 with the islanders and simon holstrom i had him ranked at the end of my tier one a tier for first round skilled forwards uh he had he had a lot of injuries um but i I still like his game um i think it makes sense for the islanders the way they like to play he kind of fits that honors lee brock nelson i think they can get success out of a guy like simon holstrom uh for a first round pick where other teams maybe you know they they, they don't think he has enough high-end skill um uh for it uh is you know carolina the ryan suzuki pick but i did really like that uh buffalo ryan johnson pick I didn't get to really judge Ryan Johnson too much because uh, his game is still pretty raw in, in, in USHL, and he's going to be back in the USHL next year. So so next year is probably a better time to really evaluate uh, his skill set. But the way scouts were talking about him, people uh, in the community were talking about him, Stuffing this one in at the end of the 30, 31s gives them a defender that has a ton of value and potential, uh, and their back end surely needs it. But 
Also, they don't really have a lot of players of interest to move. And uh, I think that's kind of something that they'll need to do in the future. Because uh, I will think they're kind of they're at the end of a dying uh, rebuild that didn't really work out. I think they're going to have to retool a bit and uh, having some pieces that will have a lot of um, potential in two two years, uh, like Ryan Johnson will be when he's starting to enter his NHL NHL years. Uh, I think will be good, kind of like an Adam Fox type type of type of guy. Or, yeah, you know, it, gives, type of it gives them a couple years to make a decision on on that player and that pick. That you, you know, if he does end up developing well, you know, he can certainly uh, you know have an impact on the Sabers roster, or you know, be a, a, a piece to trade to you know recoup some assets and, and stuff to try and move forward. Because, uh, like you said, Buffalo is kind of in flux where they uh, you know they are improving a little bit, but maybe not as fast as as the team would like, uh, and. It, it is tough in that Atlantic division when seemingly, uh, you know, a teams that you expect to start falling off, never start falling off. Uh, you know, especially, you know, coming from a Panthers perspective, uh, you, you think that a team like Boston, you know, is finally going to be on the downswing and then they end up making the Stanley cup finals. Uh, you know, it is a tough division to compete in and, and you do need a lot of pieces and, and a lot of assets to either play on your team or, uh, you know, used to make your, your NHL roster better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, th- I think that's really it for for first round. I think we should kind of wrap that up. Um, you know, Peltier, Foot, Tracy, Beecher, McMichael. Um, you know, they're, they're not two guys that we've, you know, McMichael, Foot, uh, Tracy, and Beecher didn't end up in my top 50 of forwards or, or forwards. I really, you know, would draft uh, Peltier kind of at the end of that. Um, I, I was a little surprised to see the Flames take a forward, um, you know, especially. I mean, I guess Knight was off the board, but I, I thought that they could really use a goaltender um, or or at least a defenseman to, to kind of bolster their back well, end because that's really where they're being, they've been let down in the last couple years. So. Uh, you know, I thought that was kind of an interesting pick, but, uh, you know, kind of covered the Flames through and through. I will say this, though. The the Flames picked up Dustin Wolf in the seventh round, who's Carter Hart's heir apparent in uh, Everett. And, you know, I'm a big silver tips guy. Trenton Lofthouse, ride or die. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and apparently but, they got a good gold, goaltending coach out there in Everett. So, but, uh, you know, you know a seventh-round pick for Dustin Wolf. They still have some, you know, they still have Tyler Parsons. They still have, they still have John Gillies. Um, you know, I think they they have decent amount that they're, you know, they're not struggling like some other teams like, say, Philadelphia, or, you know, the, not Philadelphia, um, Florida where Florida really needed, you know, to, to get a top-end goal, goalie. And they did. Uh, whether you like how they went about doing it is a different story, but they did end up getting a, a, a top-end goalie. Um, so I, I don't really mind that, that pick uh, for, for Calgary in the, in the first round uh, being a forward. Uh, the forward they pick, I probably would have picked a different one. Uh, but the one I would have picked is is one they got later, and that is uh, Ilya Nikolaev uh, is is probably a, a center prospect that I probably would have had in the the mid to to late twenties uh, in the first round. Um, so you know they ended up getting him, so I can't really complain. Um, 
Brandon Tracy. Uh, all right, so let's uh, let's talk about some of the some of the teams some of the teams we liked uh, on draft day. For me, you know, it's the usual. Um, Carolina, we talked about had a, had a great draft, and uh, it's been the last couple of years that we've really liked the way Carolina has drafted and, and the, the, the prospects they've traded away and the prospects they've traded for. Um, whether they work out or whether they don't work out, we've, you know, at the time of the trade or at the time of the draft or signing, um, we've liked that player. So that's not a surprise to see them understand the value of a draft pick, make make you know three trade backs to get some good value. Um, and, yeah, I mean then, the seven picks in the top hundred in the draft, um, and, and you know they might not hit on all of them, but they did pick up uh, uh, you know at least you know three or four players that I I do really right. like and do think will make a, a difference on their team, and then snuck in Slepitz at, at one fifty two as well. Which I thought was a really great pick too. Right, um, they picked, they yeah. picked, they had they got Suzuki, uh, who we had as the first round center, and and one of the the you know I guess he would probably be a top ten true center in the draft. They got uh, Kachetkov uh, in the second round, who is our second best goalie and is more NHL ready goalie uh, than Knight. Uh, I, I think a lot of people would agree whether you want to say he's as good or not. He was way off the board. So at 36, that's a pretty good buy. Uh, Patrick Pistola, a little bit of a hit or miss, but we had him in the first round. A lot of people had him in the first round. They got him in the third round. Also in the third round, they got Antoni Honka, who we had in the first round, just, you know, kind of at the edge of that first round, second round, um, just because of his offensive upside. Uh, Dominic Fenisor also in the third round. A lot of people had him sneaking into early second round. Um, you know, small and everything, but but very offensively inclined. And then, and we can talk about the later picks: Tuka Tixola and Kirill Schleppitz. Uh, I think those are two pretty good ones. <laughs> a lot of picks. Um, a lot of picks they er, they got and earned on the draft floor on the second day and the first day. Uh, and they got one, two, three, three of my first rounders and four of my second rounders. So, yeah, well, they, plus they, Schleppitz, they, they, who, I didn't, Schleppitz had, uh, who I didn't account for, but yeah. And, like, you know, with uh, Fensor, you know, he might fit in really well with Carolina, you know, being that small defenseman. They like to kind of cut the ice in half and, and kind of try and play from between the neutral zone uh, and forward. Uh, and, and having a guy like that might help that style of play and get the puck up ice quick and, and have the D join the rush and, and, and kind of make life difficult uh, in the in the neutral zone and the defensive zone for the opponents. Uh, something that they definitely like to do, and, and that's a pick that can, uh, you know, it does fit in line with, with their vision and their style of play. San Jose also had a good draft. Um, they didn't have a first-round pick. But they had two seconds, uh, and one of the seconds they picked a guy from Shakutami, Artemi Kanaisev. Kanaisev? That's, yeah, that's going to be a tough Most of these names are tough ones for me. Uh, but I like that defenseman, uh, and that went off the board before Florida picked their defense, uh, defenseman. Uh, but I really liked Igor Spiridonov uh, in the fourth round at 108. 
Uh, he's a big center from Russia who played with some talented guys uh, in Magnik Gorsk uh, in the in the MHL. Um, but you know they went all European as usual, except the Canadian in the second round, Dylan Hamilik. But his name sounds pretty European, uh, his last name at least. Um, and I think you know they usually have pretty weird funky names that you don't you're not really sure of but they end up like rudolph balkers they ended up turning up on these prospect lists two or three years down the line as you know really good really nice steel players uh, and they end up making san jose lineup time and time again so that's nice to see uh and i bring it up because if you look at what san jose has done over the past couple of years uh and and where they've reached from and uh, the names not sounding familiar, you're kind of hoping that's what Florida's working at. Obviously, if Florida yeah. didn't take the European angle, we would have <laughs> preferred, but uh, they have in some other years. But, you know, just just thinking about that. Yeah, and, you know, anytime you can ha- not have a first round or a third round pick and only uh, a five picks in a seven round draft uh, and not be one of the worst drafting teams, uh, I think that's a credit to the Sharks uh, front office there that, you know, they didn't have, you know, the picks and they didn't really have the placement on picks uh, that you would like to see from a team that, that is going to get a lot out of a draft. Uh, but they, they, they did handle themselves well and uh, maybe picked up at least a player or two uh, in, in a very short draft for them. Detroit uh, had my my top draft of the weekend, uh, even over Carolina, just because of uh, some of the bias picks. Maurice Sider at six. Uh, Antito Amisto in the second round. I really liked him. Maybe it was a little high at 35, but uh, he's listed at 6'4", but I keep thinking he's 6'5", 6'7", the way he, you know, his reach, his wingspan, the way he gobbles up pucks. Uh, and there's some offensive potential there, too. Uh, and then they picked one of my favorite defensemen, Albert Johansson, in this draft at 60. Uh, Albin Grew, uh, 66, a.k.a. T-Rex. Uh, and then an- another Swede, Elmer Soderblom, in the, fourth, uh, in the sixth round. Uh, a guy I th- I said the the Panthers should use a six round pick on, um, <laughs> and they threw in a couple more Europeans, a couple more, you know, Connecticut prep school AJ, you know, Alberta Junior goaltender uh, in the seventh round. Uh, they just kind of did a lot of a lot of good I stuff. They, this they did typical Red Wings. Uh, you know, only four of their uh, eleven picks uh, were were North Americans, so. Uh, you know, they kind of went out into those, uh, you know, lesser known areas. And, uh, you know, it, it's Detroit. You, you have to think that some of these uh, Europeans that they, they picked are going to end up turning out uh, to be to be pretty good because somehow they always do uh, for Detroit. Was there any team that you thought, you know, that I didn't mention that had a good draft uh, off the top of your head? I, I mean, I just, you know, I don't. The players that they picked maybe weren't the best. Um, I do just love Arizona at, at draft day. Um, you, you know, they're just exciting. They go in there. They try to wheel and deal. Uh, you know, I think they were responsible for a lot of the, uh, you know, the action on day two, at least, uh, of the draft, where, you know, they're always constantly trying to, you know, flip picks and, and make deals and, 
and just get, you know, maybe an extra pick here and there, or, uh, you know, trade up. They're willing to trade up to get the player that they want, like they did in Soderstrom. So, you know, I always do just enjoy a team that at least isn't passive, isn't just sitting at the table, twiddling their thumbs, waiting, uh, you know, for their pick to come around. They are actively trying to, to move up or down and, and, and do something. Um, I do uh, enjoy when teams do that. Um, other than that, I mean, it was a fairly, you know, it wasn't the most exciting draft uh, that I've uh, witnessed. Uh, it wasn't uh, anything too crazy. Um, you know, I'm interested to see some of uh, the Golden Knights picks. Uh, you know, Pavel Dorofiev, uh, I thought that was a, an interesting pick and, and a good pick for them in the third round. Uh, wonder how he's going to pan out. Um, yeah, possible you know, first rounder that, for some teams. Yeah, uh, other than that, I mean, it was a fairly, you know, pedestrian draft, I thought. Uh, you know, I, I am also interested, um, you know, to see about those, uh, the, the U.S. national development team. Uh, I think it is kind of crazy and ridiculous that, uh, you know, that entire team got drafted. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm looking forward to see how many of those players do turn into uh, you know, everyday NHL players and, and, and how good they're going to be. Um, It'd be really it, something. Yeah, and it just doesn't, you know, I feel like especially some of the, the middle or lower guys on that team did benefit from being on, uh, you know, being on that team where they got a lot more attention than, than maybe they should have. Uh, you know, it just, it doesn't, you know, sit well with me or it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that, you know, 20 guys uh, ended up on the same team that are, uh, you know, some of the best in the world. Uh, you know, I guess I get it. it, it it's possible. Um, but I'm interested to see how that roster develops, uh, you know, throughout their NHL time and, and see how many of them are going to be impactful players and, and how many of them might bust or, or just, you know, and, and nothing comes of them. Because um, it just doesn't – I don't believe it. Uh, that they were all that good yeah and i think at some point you need to you know maybe usa hockey has reached the point where the development program maybe is not in need because you know canada i think would be um kind of limited if they ran the canadian program in say like the q or like the w or something like that and you know what I mean? Like, think about how the U.S. national development team operates. They take all the best U.S. hockey kids, put them on one team, take them kind of out of the USHL, have them play like some USHL, some NCAA. But if they were all just in the USHL, the USHL could, you know, become a much stronger, much uh, more competitive league, you know, dotted them all the way through. Uh, I'm not so sure, uh, you know, at one point, we needed all the best to play together so that we could, you know, incubate the talent and, and get it to the next level and get it to where it could win gold medals. But now we're getting talent from all over to come to the same place. And, you know, I think that, you know, let's not get too yeah, into and, it. And, but. and, you know, one of the things that, you know, doesn't sit right with me about that team, too, is that, you know, that, that team did only get bronze in the U18 World Championship. So, uh, you know, right. it, it, I, I understand that, you know, other countries had some of these better, you know, had some of these players that were picked ahead of some of those Americans. 
Um, but it's not like they were far and away, uh, you know, the best team in the world and at, at the World Championships. So uh, I, I am interested to see the development on, on some of those players, uh, especially the, the lower, you know, lower ones uh, that were drafted, you know, later after the first round and everything. Uh, just because it doesn't, you know, like I said, it just doesn't sit with me that everyone from that team could get drafted and and they were all really that good. Uh, you know, to your point, you know, we always kind of comment that uh, we don't think that that national development team uh, pushes themselves enough. Uh, you know, they don't develop as much as they could or should uh, because they're not playing the competition that their skills dictate they should be playing. Let's take a break because I got to pee, and then we'll go into the Florida draft board and, and all that stuff. Sound good? So much for a quick one. Florida definitely had themselves a day, um, or two days, I should say, uh, at the draft. I know I said I didn't have many expectations. I just wanted to let PCS and Kekaline and kind of just have at it. Uh, and I kind of just trust what they had. Uh, I didn't think that they would take me so literally and, and really push the envelope there. Um, but <laughs> here we are uh, in the aftermath. Uh, I, initial gut feelings um, with you know Florida's few, few draft picks. I mean, it is a draft that, you know, we had to defer to do this podcast today. Uh, I think we have to defer about a year, uh, if not longer, to actually make a judgment uh, on this draft. Just with the players and, and positions that they picked, uh, it is going to be difficult to judge, uh, you know, immediately or even uh, in the near future. I think it'll be almost impossible to, to continue to judge, uh, you know, to judge it next year. Uh, you know, until the season's over or, uh, you know, until we just learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, what they were able to get uh, in this draft. Uh, yeah. You know, it wasn't as immediately satisfying as, as some of the other drafts. There's really no one um, that we can talk about short term uh, that we can really judge the pick. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of drafts are really, you know, made on your first round pick. If you have, If you do really well in your first round pick, you're at least you know, going to do better than a C long term because you get a, you know, bona fide NHL out of it. Um, you just kind of have to do mildly well in the rest of your picks. When you pick a goalie 13th overall, there's so much, there's so much risk um, that one, like you said, you have to do a lot of deferment because this can be a C today. But if Spencer Knight crushes it, wins the Hopi Baker at Boston College next year, and looks like he's gonna, you know, step in and be the number one goalie in the AHL next year, um, it's gonna be hard to not call it a B uh, the following year. So there's a lot of variance when you start off with a goalie at 13, uh, and then the rest of the picks they really leaned into it. You know, Spencer Knight's kind of a long-term, high-risk pick that could pay off and all their other picks really played that same type of way until you kind of got down to the last two picks and then they were just picking for the AHL because um, we need centers in the AHL like like yesterday um, so 
it's a draft pick. It's a draft that makes sense to me. Um, definitely hurts me a little bit that we drafted one European and he's um, out of. Well, we drafted two Europeans, but they're out of North America, so we didn't really even use our European scouts too too much. Uh, or flex, you know, our Kekaline and muscle, um, which I think is our, our best muscle and, and you know the best time of year and the best way to get you know these top end talents in Florida. You know, outside of throwing twenty million dollars in guys at free agency like we're about to do, is to draft them and have Kekaline and draft them. So. That's that's kind of a, a big disappointment as well, um, but overall it's a good it's it's not a bad draft. There's been a lot of work. There's been worse drafts in the recent past. The Kraus draft, I think, um, probably comes down immediately springs to mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Spencer Knight's not lost in Kraus bad. Um, he's probably a little even better than an Owen Tippett pick or, you know, around Owen Tippett, at least from our perspective, you know, you, you can obviously, this is a draft, everything's so subjective. Um, but we just try to stay consistent to our profile, our AKA brand. Uh, and when we look at, you know, some of these draft picks, uh, Kolea Kanak, uh, I liked him. He was Base, he was in my top 25 defenders on my list uh, at 24, which you think is low. But, you know, that puts him in, you know, when I merge my list together, that puts him in the mid-60s. So that's not too big of a pick. But at the time, there was other D I had ranked ahead of him still available. Um, you know, and there's, you know, kind of some of those picks kind of fit the same. Uh, but those defensemen were picked by teams uh, like San Jose, like Nashville, like New Jersey, um, like Boston. Teams that I think usually draft defensemen well, sign defensemen well, and build good decors. Uh, and you might not agree with that. You might think that there's teams that do a better team or better picks. Uh, but it definitely speaks to our consistent brand. Yeah, you know, I mean, like you said, it, it was, it seemed like the kind of plan going into it uh, for Florida was kind of more of a long-term draft, um, which, which I don't mind. You know, I am glad uh, that we are kind of at the point of a franchise that we now don't have to be concerned uh, with getting immediate NHL help through the draft, with getting short-term projects to make impacts in the NHL. Uh, immediately because we finally do have a roster that is, uh, you know, a little more set and we finally have a goal and a plan in mind to, to get where we want to be uh, with either the players that we have on the roster or players that are currently in the NHL. So, you know, from a franchise perspective, it is nice to, uh, you know, finally kind of be able to take, you know, what should be the approach of the draft and, and that is long-term uh, roster help. Uh, so, uh, you know, in that sense, I'm not upset, uh, you know, about, you know, too many of the picks or, or really any of the picks. Um, like you said, you know, I do think that we kind of, uh, you know, kind of completely shut off uh, a part of the world that generally develops skilled hockey players at the very least uh, and kind of pulled only from North America. Uh, and, you know, everyone at this point should know our bias, uh, you know, towards those European players that, you know, obviously we were, we're going to be a little upset that we're not utilizing, like you said, uh, you know, one of our best assets, and that is our European scouting. 
start with Spencer Knight. Um, obviously, we're, we like Spencer Knight. We think he's one of the better goaltending prospects in the last 10 years. Uh, not the best. Uh, not the best since Carey Price. Not the best since Martin Burdor, Patrick Waugh, or whoever. But one of. Uh, it's, it's very hard to tell. There's been Carter Hart. Uh, who's a fantastic goalie prospect. There's been Andre Vasilevsky, who's been a fantastic goalie prospect and has won some NHL hardware and um, shown it at the NHL level. Um, there's Ilya Samsonov, who's coming, starting to make that transition and starting to show whether he's worth a first-round pick. Um, but he was a very good prospect uh, as, as a goaltender. Uh, and, and so far, we have no reason to doubt that uh, in everything after the draft. And then there's next year, there there's uh, Azakarov, um, who is possibly even better than Spencer Knight. I think Spencer Knight's a great goalie. We're happy he's a Florida Panther. Um, you know, there does have to be some context that he's not the best goalie ever. Um, yeah, and he's and, not a sure thing. He's not, you know, signed, sealed, and delivered. Um, there's still some, con- there's still a lot of things to go with. And you know, the, one of the things is he didn't have the greatest draft year that you'd expect. And a lot of people have, you know, pointed that out when they've talked about him. I, you know, he did have good numbers, uh, you know, for that national development team. But you know, as we mentioned before. How much are they really pushing? You know, he had a great team in front of him. How much was he actually getting out of the games? Like, uh, of course, he's going to have a high nine, uh, 90% save percentage. And yeah, look at how many draft picks like are on the team. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that we talked about, you know, during the draft, uh, I think it was more on day two, uh, that is concerning. Uh, you know, he's not the only goalie uh, that – this kind of praise has been heaped on recently and they even touched on it. I was rewatching uh, round one after uh, rounds two through seven yesterday. It was, it was replayed uh, immediately after and had it on it and kept it on for the Panthers pick, uh, you know, just to pick up on some more information that they were saying, uh, you know, I think it was Pierre even touched on, uh, you know, he almost became self-aware of what he was saying uh, when he was saying that night's the best goaltending prospect ever that, you know, it's also, you know, they said that about Jack Campbell, uh, you know, years ago, and, and he's barely an NHL goaltender at this moment. Um, you know, I, I remember, you know, Jake Allen had a lot of praise. Uh, you know, Bennington had a lot of praise, and he ended up delivering a little bit this year, but it's still kind of, you know. Yeah, that, take, you, that you took still what, a lot eight, of nine years to get to. So, you know, it is – and one of the things that we were talking about, it's a lot of the guys that have been wrong uh, on goalies like Jack Campbell or, or Zach Fucale, I think was another name that we mentioned, are the ones that are kind of leading the charge and beating the drum that Spencer Knight is the best goaltending prospect, uh, you know, since Tom Barrasso or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's not like these kind of things haven't been said about goalies before. Uh, and it's been a lot of goalies that have not delivered on that and have not lived up to the hype. Uh, so there has to be uh, a little bit of hesitation and, you know, a little bit of nerves that Spencer Knight will end up developing into the kind of goaltender that he's kind of touted to be uh, right off the bat. You know, it, it is as much as Panthers fans want to say, you know, well, we needed a goalie, we finally got a goalie, we got the best goalie you know, ever, uh, 
uh, you know, he is only 18. He still has a lot of a lot of learning and a lot of developing to do. And uh, you know, while I don't hate the pick, you know, I don't think it is the end all be all completely solving all of our goaltending problems for the next 20 years. Uh, you know, there is still a lot of questions, <laughs> a lot of time to wait uh, until I can comfortably say that. Uh, do they do you want to pause while you go catch that that ice cream truck dog? <laughs> yes. I really want to rock a pop right now, but you want to get me to SpongeBob? Yeah. <laughs> well, at least Spencer Knight likes SpongeBob. He's going to have Squidward on his NHL mask. He already said that. Um, so that is good news. And you know, like you said, he's a great prospect. He he's very athletic. Um, you know, his combine numbers stand out. Um, his maturity is something that scouts impress upon. Obviously, we don't talk to the kid. We, we're not going to really comment on that too much. Um, but it's the risk. It's Could Florida take that risk at 13 overall on Spencer Knight? Probably. They probably could. And, and I think we both agree to that. But there's defensemen available that we would think is less risky and has as much or close to the similar amount of reward that Knight has when you factor in how much more realistic uh, it's going to be. Uh, the first name that jumps out is Vili Hanola. Um, but I think, you know, there's arguments, at least in my case, that Thomas Harley, Lassie Thompson, and... Um, could also fit there uh cam york uh, others would argue would be there as well and if you think there's a guy with first paired potential available at 13 obviously florida didn't, didn't because um they didn't make the pick and they had soda broberg and and cider uh ahead of night uh from from what we can probably patch together uh from what george richards and, and others have said um but, you know, I think it's a B pick. It's a good pick. It, 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 fits, for, it fits for need. Uh, it kind of fits into best player available, a lot would argue. Um, but, you know, preference-wise, bias-wise, we had people on the board we'd rather take. Yeah, um, and I think you can't ignore either, you know, the goaltending situation in Florida and you know, we Huge talked point. about it a little bit that, you know, you can only judge this once we learn after July 1st with, with what's going to happen there, uh, you know, because you can read it a couple of different ways. And by picking Spencer Knight, one of the ways that you can look into, you know, Florida's plans for free agency and everything uh, is that, you know, this is signaling to the fans that basically, you know, short of a miracle, uh, that they're kind of throwing away this season coming up as well, uh, because by picking Spencer Knight, it, it now doesn't make a ton of sense to sign Sergei Borowski to a seven-year contract, uh, because you know the way they're talking about Knight is, you know, after a year in in college and a year in the AHL, he'll be ready to take over, and, and Bobrovsky would still have five years left on a contract, uh, and, and so, you know, we don't know what Luongo's decision is yet. Still, we don't know. Uh, what's going to happen with James Reimer. And, and so there's a real worry in my mind that, you know, by picking Spencer Knight, 
the, the Panthers are saying that they're just going to go into next season with Luongo, Reimer, and Montembeau, uh, same as they did this year. And, and we already know that, that that's not going to be good enough uh, to get this team into the playoffs. And it's not going to be good enough, even if you do get there, to win a round, which you so desperately need. Uh, and so it, it, it's kind of a signal, you know, right now to fans that we're just going to toss away, you know, another season of Barkov, another season of Huberto, uh without getting any results on it. Uh, you know, it, 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 that to me is the major concern about being willing to take Spencer Knight 13th overall. Well, I, I do think that there is some truth to it that they wouldn't draft Spencer Knight at 13th overall if they were confident that Borowski could be their goalie for five years. That he could, you know, I don't think this is them saying Bobrovsky isn't coming here. I think that they could even sign Borowski to a seven-year contract and a big money seven-year contract. But I think that by drafting Spencer Knight, they're saying outside that three-year cup window, um, we're, we're, we're hedging on that. And I think that's where Spencer Knight is. We're taking the easiest road to hedging our goaltenders. We don't want to worry about our goaltenders after this weekend. We'll have Montembeau. We'll have Knight. All we have to do is just maintain that moving forward by spending a couple draft picks and a couple contract spots on goalies all the way through. We got Spencer Knight. It's kind of like, you know, when Philadelphia got Carter Hart, it kind of just put a lot of calm into a lot of fans. Just like, all right, we have a big blue chip goalie prospect. We have another, you know, it's not Philadelphia's situation. We have multiple other guys who can step in, but we have Montembeau, who's we said was best in his draft class, uh, and a lot and of people he was proven that he can at least handle, you know, yeah. a, a, you know, a handful of games. And we, be a he's at least an NHL goalie. We, he's yeah. at least proven that he's a at least an NHL bubble replacement level goalie, and that's you know good enough. Um, so that's that's nice, and, and I like that from a flyer. I mean a from a Panthers perspective. Um, I think with Spencer Knight, it's how you manage him. Uh, he's obviously not going to be expansion. He's not going to be expansion eligible. But if you get Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, there's a lot of issues and there's a lot of outs you have. Bobrovsky can always go back to Russia, whether you suspend him or whether he's planning, hey, I'm going back to Russia at 35 because I'm going to be older I'm not, you know, if we win a cup in our three-year window, I can sign a five-year contract at $10 million a year, $50 million, you know, total five-year contract, and then just go back to Russia, play a year in the KHL or two, bank some extra money, and then retire. Um, you know, that's a possibility. That's something they can talk about this coming week. Um, but I think Bobrovsky has other outs too, whether it's the expansion draft in Seattle, it's this lockout that's probably going to happen. Um, and while it may be the last lockout for a while because the new TV deals coming in uh, and a lot of other different revenue points starting to matri matriculate for the NHL, um, you, you kind of have this idea that Florida can be silly with money because there might be some get-out-of-jail-free cards coming out after the lockout and in expansion if they're willing to maybe part with, you know, just pay the price. And and we always talk about how good teams like Detroit in their heyday, um, like Chicago has, 
uh, especially when they were in their prime, you know, three, five year window uh, where they were churning guys out. You can, if you're good enough to find the inefficiencies, if you're good enough to make the guys you draft, the guys you bring better um, and, and fit into your team, you can uh, uh, you can afford to overpay a little bit. You can afford to you know attach a different prospect to get out of a jam or to lose a couple guys in free agency or what have you. And I think that's kind of hopefully how Florida yeah. is playing and, it in the I goalie think... situation. But like you said, it does call into question. Um, and you know if they didn't draft Spencer Knight, I don't think there'd be any question about Bobrovsky and seven years in Florida. Um, but, you know, to me, this is a positive. This is them understanding that Bobrovsky's only going to be able to give three, at most five, good years, and them having someone ready uh, to go. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of to that point is, is what they need to make sure then is that they don't give a, a ridiculously crazy, untradeable contract to Bobrovsky because there's always going to be a team out there that's going to want a goaltender. Uh, you know, there's several this offseason. It, it, it's always going to be an issue because there's not enough of right. them throughout the league. That as long as the contract isn't, you know, untradeable or, or a team can't possibly take it on, uh, there is going to be, you know, an ability to move him, you know, and whether you get, you know, fair value or, or whatnot from him will remain to be seen. But, I mean, you know, if you sign him to a, to a relatively, you know, reasonable deal, uh you know, down the line, there's going to be a team that, that's, you know, just looking right now. Vancouver, you know, they might need a goalie, you know, if, if Demko doesn't pan out. Or, uh, you know, Calgary might need a goalie, you know. New there, Jersey there will is, need a goalie if Blackwood yeah, there, doesn't there pan out. there might be a chance, uh, you know, as long as it's not a crazy, long-go, untradeable contract, uh, that you will be able to, to get rid of them when you think Spencer Knight uh, is ready to take over and 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 that's going to be the big thing is how long uh, is he going to need and, and how soon are you comfortable you know throwing uh, Knight into a, a starting role? Absolutely, uh, and, and just to be a little specific about Knight's game, I mean he definitely does model it after his hero Carey Price and the guy um, he says he wants to be uh, wants you know to play like in the NHL. Um, he has that great lower post-to-post strength. You really have to lift the puck uh, to beat him in close. Um, I did notice that, especially you know, on his slides, his glove, you know, you know, the natural weaknesses of goalies. He, that's where his goals are coming from. Um, and he, while he doesn't get a lot of shots, he he does get a lot of you know high da- more medium and high danger shots than I think a lot of goalies would for you know the eighteen twenty shots he faces some nights, um, and everything you know t- everything's textbook. There's really good technique. He can handle the puck pretty well. He's he's pretty accurate with his passes, long short. Um, he, you know he does kind of freeze sometimes or you know ha- hang on to it a bit, but that's every goalie who can play the puck does that so um there's not really too much to dislike in his game he's still the best goalie in the draft class um and he's on that carter hart level um and that's that's nothing to scoff at especially with what carter hart has done but to get there carter hart had a pretty perfect post-draft uh development uh and he didn't really even have any rocky really 
issues until you know at the NHL level a little bit but so far he's had a pretty lax post-draft development and that's what you have to hope Knight gets at BC you know with guys like Newhook and uh, he does have some other but, development but, program which guys. is a you know somewhat of a, a maybe not a worry but you know Carter Hart did uh, you know do it in, in the WHL he did it you know playing more games in the season playing probably better competition uh, and uh, from the looks of it, you know, BC is not going to be much different than the National Development Program where, uh, you know, Knight might not be tested so much on game days. Uh, I definitely think he'll be he'll be tested a lot more, and I think it's that kind of good, natural middle step. Um, my issue, my worry is with uh, taking a guy like Knight, and yes, you could put him in the junior, but I don't think he has any appetite for that. I, I just... You know, that just doesn't seem realistic that you could put him into the CHL. Uh, so then it's, you know, college or the AHL. And I think the AHL would be way too big of a jump. Um, and so that one year in Boston College is, you know, a good middle middle ground where you can get that upper body strength he needs. Um, yeah, and it's at least a good his program. Frame. It's, you know, it's right. not like he's going to pull but you, Yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, like the one thing I did say in the write-up about Knight and talking about Knight is – you know, while his USHL competition was pretty low, his practice competition was pretty high. There was a lot more practices than games. So for a goalie, that um, definitely helps him. And, and what a lot of scouts did key in on when they did talk about why they liked the U.S. development program guys and stuff is that they spent a lot of time on the ice with each other. And that, you know, hopefully resulted is going to result in players that are better than you know their natural talents uh, and natural trajectory would have been without kind of incubating together that's you know the whole point of the program um so his i think you know going to bc there's going to be a they're kind of merging back into a top program especially with the prospects they have coming in with him it's going to be a one and done type year uh, a type thing so I'm not worried about it and I think it is that good middle step because uh, in the AHL it's it's going to be a lot faster it's going to be a lot harder shots and you don't want him to get shell-shocked or to be uh, yeah and it might be a different you can't story. go backwards with the NCAA right so yeah. it, once you jump to junior once you jump to somewhere else you can I mean I could always see him going to BC um, and then maybe jumping to junior or you know, having two years in the AHL, like that extra level of development can come later. Um, but I, I, I don't, I think the BC is a good place for him. Yeah. And, you know, and I we, hate saying that cause I don't like NCAA bred goalies, but um, you know, I think he's a lot of people are saying he's pretty much a finished product. And I think that's true. He, what he needs is upper body strength and NHL pro level shots. And he gets upper body strength one year at BC pro-level shots the second year at the AHL. It would be a different story if, you know, maybe it was like Carolina where the team went to the, the Eastern Conference Finals in the AHL. Uh, you know, if, if Springfield was, was better um, and had more success. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't going to get bombarded with shots like I think like it might Machin be a Bellas. different and more difficult decision on whether to send him to BC or the AHL next year. Uh, but, you know, yeah, if he's just going to be left out to dry in Springfield, uh, you know, it, it is much better for him to, to go to BC for a year. And you never know. I mean, if Springfield does kind of maybe turn their game around a little bit, uh, you know, certainly at the end of his, his 
college season, uh, you know, if, if, if they think that's it for him, uh, you know, he can finish out the year uh, playing a couple games in Springfield, you know, right down the road. So, uh, you know, it it really only can be Boston College right now next year for him. Um, you know, I think what we've been saying this whole time, though, is uh, the less is, you know, less is better uh, in terms of time at, at college for Spencer Knight. Yeah, definitely agreed. So that gives one year from now for Springfield. Well, one year in an off season for now for Springfield to give, you know, Spencer Knight a, a really strong and, and, team and in front of him. And I think really, that's a that, realistic time frame uh, with some of the draft picks that should be going there. Yeah, I was going to say, and, you know, that might be the the story for Boston College anyways, you know, with so many of these top guys that are going to be see next year, uh, you know, all of the, the forwards and defensemen in front of them uh, that were just recently drafted and everything might only be going for a year before their NHL team comes calling. Uh, so, you know, it could be a vastly different team uh, if, you know, if you were to go back to a sophomore year and it might just be better, uh, you know, to, to pull the plug after one because that's, you know, BC is probably only going to be good for that one year until they have to, to bring in a whole new crop of, you know, basically a whole team uh, with what it sounds like. Yep. So I think, you know, like we said, sum it up. It's a little more understandable given that they tried to trade up to get Victor Shodashom slash Victor Shodashom was their guy. Uh, and was taken right before, um, and they didn't feel in you know Cider Broberg uh, were also gone, and they I guess they didn't feel Hanola with whether Kekalainen was out sick this weekend or whatever they maybe he didn't like the draft this year in Europe. I I don't know what to say, but um, you know it makes a little more sense there. Uh, but there were, you know, maybe some better options, and there's a lot of risk there. So it's a lot of wait and see, but it's a solid B for for first round where they had some good wingers uh, in the system already, so they could maybe withstand it. Moving on to the second pick, 52, Vladislav Kolikanak out of Flint. Uh, This is going to be a name I'm going to learn how to say. Uh, Flint in the OHL, Belarus is his national team. A um, lot of positives off the hop for him. He's a lefty. Um, he's pretty solid defensively, pr- engages defensively. He's not going to be a, a guy who shirks his defensive responsibility. That fits a team need. Uh, if you're a, a heightist, he's six one. Um, and he's going to fill out to probably be about 200 pounds, so that helps. Uh, and his development track, while it's maybe not the best development programs in the Belarus national team and Flint out of the OHL, he's going to be getting 30 minutes a night, 25, 20, you know, 25 to 30 minutes a night whenever he suits up for these teams, be a captain, uh, and that is valuable in its own right. Um, not too much of a reach based on our rankings, you know, up 10, 15 p- spots from where we'd probably draft him just on a solely based off of our rankings. Um, but, you know, there's Kockenin, there was Albert Johansson at that time who I would have taken before him and maybe some others. Detroit stepped up at 34 and took Antituomisto, 
who I thought would maybe be available in this range. Um, but it's just too, a little bit of a project than who I thought they could have got. I thought they could have got a little more NHL-ready defensemen who play the left side uh, in the second round at 52 overall, looking at the board available. Um, and that's really my only ding here, uh, is that this guy is just not more NHL-ready. Uh, he's more of a more of a project, and like the rest of like Knight and the rest of this draft, a little too much risk. Yeah, I mean, he definitely wasn't the biggest reach that the Panthers took this draft, and uh, you know, while I'm not thrilled about uh, his, this situation in Flint, uh, you know, like you said, it is going to be good that you know he will get his playing time there, uh, and that's kind of invaluable for prospect development. So I uh, can't you know ding him too much on that. Um, you know, and, and like you said, it, it is just a little frustrating that, uh, you know, especially going into the draft and, and everything that the Panthers have been saying, that, that defense was an immediate need to be addressed. Um, this doesn't really do it. Uh, and so they still have a lot of work to do on their back end. And, uh, you know, it, it will still be a couple of years before uh, he'll have a chance to, to make a name for himself in, in camp and, and potentially on the roster. So, uh, you know, I don't mind the pick. I don't. I don't hate it at all. But uh, you know, definitely like reasonable. Said, it, it's definitely reasonable. reasonable. It it could have been better. Um, but at least it wasn't. Uh, you know, like a you know a winger that we didn't need or anything. You know, it did address team needs uh, a little bit. Um, just thought it could have been done more directly with that pick. Right, and you know, not to be not to kind of undermine our whole you know argument against this uh at, at pick 69 when they drafted it in the third round where they went d again um some of the guys that i would have preferred to get picked in the second round were still available um not albert johansson um and, and uh let me let me just check on on uh on Kockinen, but uh i don't i think cockenin was still available as well, yes, that he was. And I think those two were pretty lights out at the third round pick. And, and jumping into that, that's where I think the the biggest issue was for us, is what they did at the third round pick. They could have gone a better, more NHL-ready D, Miko Kakinen, uh, Albert Johansson, somebody with more high potential. They want someone who probably, at best, is a 4-5 defenseman uh, in the NHL. Um, just it's kind of dress drafting a, a he's second year draft eligible defensive defenseman not many points uh, and with the defenseman on the board that's really disappointing and then if you look at the other end um, then they had to spend two picks from the fourth round to move up to draft Cole Schwint uh, out of Mississauga a right-handed center um, at 81 who would have been a fine pick at 69 uh, from where I'm sitting. And, and that's probably the pick I liked the most uh, immediately when they said it. Um, that's definitely a PCS pick. He is, uh, you know, his with, without you numbers for Corsi and stuff. Um, even after the Tippett trade and stuff, when Tippett wasn't there, uh, looked very impressive. And uh, his, his actual production uh, picked up after those trades. And he's primed to be in a top six role uh, next year. So you could see that having um, some big value. And he's good defensively. He wins a lot of draws. So if he 
falls, he busts, he's not going to fall too far down the chart. It's a reasonable 69th overall pick. So for a lot of reasons, and I'm, I'm going to be done my little rant here, that John Ludwig pick uh, in the third round is, is really perplexing and frustrating. And, uh, you know, the one spot I would go back and change if I could. Yeah, and, you know, as I alluded to earlier, you know, that was, uh, you know, one of the picks I thought that, A, it was, you know, I think the biggest reach of the Panthers made in the draft and it was uh one that it, it seemed like they were trying to to overthink it or you know uh outthink themselves on the pick that uh you know I, I just don't understand drafting someone with with you know not a lot of of stats and, and not a lot of stuff going for him it seems like uh why they felt the need to reach and, and go for him in the third round when, like you said, I, I mean, he, he seems like a guy that certainly would have been available, uh, you know, through round three and around four, possibly even round five, who knows. Uh, and if not, there was certainly still other D, uh, you know, that you could have got instead of him, uh, you know, Hanka, uh, you know, if you still wanted to get that, uh, you know, that other pick in the 80s, uh, you know, still would have been available. So it, it was... You know, I'll, what I thought the biggest reach and uh, confusing pick that, once again, doesn't really address an immediate team need. Um, he would be several years away if he ever even makes an impact in the well, NHL. I mean, so. I think, well, I, they could argue he's closer because he's a second-year eligible defenseman. And I think, you know, whether this is PCS, whether this is advanced stats or a little bit of old-school hockey, whatever you think, his plus minus was plus 38. He had 18 points in 58 games. Uh, and I'm guessing his D partner uh, had is a plus 22. But nobody else is even close. Plus 16, Joachim Blitchfield. Cody Glass, plus 16. Obviously played on a really good team. Uh, but his plus minus and his even strength goal differential, which is the fancy stat term for plus minus, which basically just um, takes out the the weird uh, even strength type of dealings that plus minus has with empty nets and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, if that's kind of the angle they're going for that, yeah, he might not get a lot of points, but he separates the opposition from the puck and the goals when he's on the ice is heavily favored for his team. It might be a good decision. It might be, it might end up being a good draft pick. My issue is he was 128th ranked. You had to draft. You had to. You had to trade up to draft another center. A couple, you know, a handful of picks later. Um, could could you have gotten this guy later? Possibly. I think so. I don't. I don't know if maybe um, looking at the draft board from that round, if uh, there's teams that kind of draft similar. Um, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of D that were drafted and other stuff around. I think they could have gotten him later in the fourth round, but who knows? Who knows, right? Um, that's the thing about the draft. This is all, like I said, midterms. Um, we're just pulling stuff out of our ass from from what we believe and what we feel based on our own list and our own biases. Um, and uh, hopefully, we'll see more out of this guy. But let's go to something 
a little more positive, and and that's Cole Schwint. Um, I did like this guy when I was watching uh, Harley in Mississauga. Uh, I think he wasn't too close um, to making my draft list because you know a lot of the games I watched him play, he wasn't getting the minutes. Uh, and when you only are planning on ranking, well, at the time I was planning on ranking 30, 35, maybe 40 forwards. Um, you know, there just wasn't enough room to consider him. Uh, but he had a good strong second half of the year. Uh, and a lot of the people who track Corsi, who track uh, other shot metrics and passing metrics like shot assists, really like this guy. He's a big right-handed center who's good defensively, wins draws, uh, which will appease people who have more of an old-school mindset. And when you look down the Panthers' death chart, uh, they're definitely going to need all types of centers. And this guy looks like he could hit on a few different levels and maybe be a you know possession facilitator, third-line center down the, win- down the line. Um, and this is, like I said, the best draft pick uh off the hop for me um and a guy i could get behind even though i'm not a huge fan of mississauga and the way they develop um develop players yeah i didn't mind the the schwinn pick and you know if anything he might end up being a center that allows uh you know some extra rest for barkov on the on the penalty kill uh you know if he can continue to win faceoffs, especially in the d zone uh, i i think that was a big issue uh, you know, for the Panthers, the last couple of seasons is, is their faceoff percentage, uh, specifically in their D zone. They give up a lot of chances and a lot of goals, uh, you know, from lost draws in that situation. So, uh, you know, like you said, it, it, that one's a fine pick. Um, again, you know, if you if you would have flip popped Schwint and Ludwig, um, I, I think the draft order looks a little better. I think you know everything is uh, more in line with, with where they should have been drafted um so you know i guess you can't fault the ludwig pick because you did go out to, and get another pick in that round that uh you know does look a little better on paper right i would definitely need to see more from the more data on what they were picking from and, and the reasoning behind the pick to to kind of understand that and why they kind of jumped there uh giving some of the other defensemen on the board uh and then maybe why they didn't go a little more d heavy later in the draft too to kind of make up for that um with different type of maybe more high skill defensemen it'd be interesting to hear the the biggest thing is though i think it kind of forced an unnecessary trade where there could have been another draft pick um in here uh that could have been you know if they're really trusting pcs and i gotta say one thing they didn't care about what promen or what beeler or what you know anybody else's post draft grades were going to be judging by these picks and they definitely winged it they not winged it they definitely went for it they definitely um, went for home runs and went for the guys they liked and uh, that's always good um, Ludwig I'll give a I'll give a C minus to um, just because that plus minus that you know they I'm just guessing they're doing something weird or something around that um and there's maybe something there cole schwint i'll give a b plus to um that was also featured on a sports net uh possible steals list um so the third round 
uh, highs and lows. You know, the highest and the lowest point of the draft for me in that third round. Fourth round, Carter Berger. I got to see him play a little bit when I was scouting New Hook and uh, obviously Campbell, who also got drafted, I think, in the fourth or maybe fifth round uh, this year out of Victoria in the BCHL. Um, let me get an actual age on him. I don't want to say he's older than he is. He's turning 20 in September, so he's not already 20. So I did I did make a good assessment. Um He's played three years in the BCHL. There's been market improvement uh, each year. Um, you know, the the big points here, uh, first to second year, but, you know, 10 goals to 27 goals from last year to this year. You expect to see that from somebody who's at the end of his BCHL career. Uh, and, and, you know, more so than the age, more so than the BCHL, more so than the bump from Newhook and Campbell, uh, playing on his BCHL team and getting those scouting eyes and, and all of that. Um, it's, is UConn the best place for him to be going next year? I like that he's going into the NCAA next year, obviously. I think that's the best place for him. But UConn's program's a little hit or miss. And uh, if they can maybe... Maybe if they know something we don't, uh, you know, obviously they can talk to coaches and get an understa- understanding of how they're intended to be used and all that stuff. Um, but this might be kind of like, uh, let's just start calling him Kali. Uh, I'm going to start calling him Kohli or Kali or something like that. Vladislav in the second round. Um, you know, we don't like Flint, but he's going to get the minutes there. We might not like UConn, but he's definitely going to get the minutes there, probably wear a letter for them. Um, and, and maybe even spend two years there uh, before making the jump. He's slick, uh, you know. He's got some offensive skills, but he's you know pretty slick with his passing and skating. And he, you know, in the BCHL, you know, obviously everything's couched in that it's in the BCHL as a turning as a 19 year old. Um, but wasn't the worst pick of the day. Uh, I definitely liked more than the Ludwig pick as well. Um, so I'll probably give that, you know, a B minus, uh, uh, grade. Yeah. And there was some good words, uh, you know, said about him that he was a big part of, uh, you know, new hook and, and his team's success by being the guy that was getting the puck out of the zone and up to those uh, skilled forwards. So, uh, it, you know, there is a potential that he could develop somewhere. Uh, you know, you touched on the UConn, uh, Maybe not the greatest program, but they do play in a, a competitive league, and you should be facing some really, really good competition uh, in college, and, and should hopefully be getting, you know, you know, top minutes or at least some good minutes against tough competition. So, uh, might end up actually being a really good place for him to uh, develop for a couple of years, and uh, you know, keep growing and keep adding to his skills, and, and you know, on both sides of the puck, because uh, it does sound like he does have, uh, you know, quite a bit of offensive ability. Uh, whether it be from the rush or, you know, just from the blue line and moving the puck up ice forwards, um, that is something that the Panthers would like more of, uh, the ability to, to get the puck up quick to their to their skill forwards instead of having their D, uh, you know, trying to skate the puck up ice uh, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, you know, again, not the worst pick. It, it is another, uh, you know, overager in a less than stellar league there but uh you know you you can only you can take what you get and and, you know it's not 
the Panthers thought or, or Burgers thought that, you know, he was in the BCHL as a 19-year-old, uh, you know, it is still a good league, and it is a league that has seen an increasing amount of players uh, at least get drafted out of there and, and become quality NHL players. So uh, maybe it is a league on the rise in a good spot, uh, you know, to start looking for some of these players that, you know, don't have that top-end elite skill that are, are going on to the, the CHL when they're younger, going on to, you know, these bigger and better leagues when they're younger. It is maybe a safer space, uh, but a good space for, for players like that to develop. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to the fifth round. Um, decent round, a round where they traded in to get an extra pick. Um, they traded next year's fifth round, so they didn't lose any picks from this year to, to get this additional pick. And that kind of makes up for that fourth rounder they they, they lost. Um, and they picked back-to-back, 136-137. Henrik Rubinsky was the first one, a right-handed winger um, who definitely likes to play center. Ended his year in Seattle, started in Medicine Hat. Medicine Hat did not go well. Um and he requested a trade for more minutes. And then once he got to Seattle, was over a point-per-game player. He didn't play center, but one of the reasons he wanted to get a trade for Medicine Hat was to play more center. So this is another person who uh, could be a center and helps that center depth, uh, which is kind of flying under the radar for, for how lacking it is, I think, in the Florida Panthers organization. And Florida definitely noticed that because they picked um, – one, two, three, four, five guys uh, who could play center at some capa- in some type of capacity for the for the team um, in the NHL AHL. Uh, what I've heard for Rubinsky is he's very cr- high end, high creativity. So if you're worried that Schwint, uh, Ludwig were maybe a little too meat and potatoes, a little too hard nosed for you, um, Berger, Rubinsky definitely tilt the other way. A little more new age, a little more high-end skill. Um, funny story, I'm sure you've heard it by now. If you're listening to this podcast, Rubinsky was out taking his driver's test when he found out he got drafted by the Panthers because he lives in Vancouver, I'm guessing. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the story of the Panthers draft. Uh, some of the guys they drafted, like John Ludwig and, you know, Rubinsky weren't even there because they didn't think they were going to get drafted. Um, and that's kind of... How it goes, so it's either going to be a big, a big win or um, a pretty, a pretty missed type of a missed situation type of type of draft for them. Um, any thoughts on Rubinsky? Yeah, he's actually, you know, especially in the later rounds, one of the guys I'm, I'm most excited for in this draft for the Panthers. Uh, you know, he is on the younger end; he's only turning 18 in a, a couple of days here, uh, so he does have a lot of uh, you know time and room to grow. Um, and, and, you know, like you mentioned, it, it seemed like he just didn't have the points, uh, you know, in Medicine Hat because he was just completely unhappy and uh, with his situation and, and didn't really want to play for the team. And, you know, then he went on to, to Seattle and, and, and had a great end of the season. Um, you know, it doesn't look like he scores uh, too, too many goals, uh, but he does uh, set up. Uh, he did have quite a few assists. So, you know, he... He could be an interesting one to watch, uh, you know, if his skill continues to develop that, uh, you know, he might be one from, the, from this late round to, to keep an eye on that might actually uh, crack the NHL down the line. I think definitely more so uh, than some of the other guys, uh, 
you know, like Lindmark and Wetman, I don't think uh, have anywhere near as much of a chance as, as Rubinsky does to, to make an NHL team. Uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to keep eyes on him this year when he's finally in a situation that, you know, maybe he likes a bit more than, than what he had in Medicine Hat. Sure. And let's talk about Lindmark. Um, if you tell me that Ludwig and Lindmark were the two last names of the pet Panthers draft picks I, I was more most confused about um you, you definitely would have got my goat um he was a little more higher ranked than than some of the other picks so it, less of a reach he was ranked 91 by hockey prospect 108 by McKean's uh the 93rd overall skater in North America uh and, and just turned 18 in May he's going to Wisconsin which uh, has a couple of those other U.S. national development program guys um, like Caulfield and, and Turcotte going there uh, and is headed by Tony Granato, which is a name a lot of people listening will know. Um, so that's, you know, that's all good and dandy. You know, that's, you know, six foot right-handed center. Okay, that fits the need. I like that. Um, he's got a weird, he's got a lot of hitches in his game, a lot of just things that, that catch me um, off guard. Uh, when watching him, obviously, I, I watched a lot of the NDTP um, this draft year. Uh, he he didn't get a lot of minutes. He was kind of buried there. Um, he He's good at winning draws, and he just seems like a lunch pail type of pick. And uh, I think you can get that outside of the draft. And I think that's my biggest issue. I don't think he has the skating. Um, you know, this is kind of what Lawson Krause is probably going to end up being, but... Uh, so maybe at fifth round, you're like, okay, you know, this is like a Lawson Krause light, and I'd rather take a shot at fifth round than in 11th overall, yada, 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 I get it. But, you know, I think there was a lot of guys with high-end skill um, that would maybe have more payoff here uh, than, than Owen Lindmark, but there's enough scouts who like this pick enough um, that I don't hate it, and it fits enough of the... The, the need uh, for the team. So it's like a C minus bordering D for me. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it does have the potential to improve on that grade a little bit just because, you know, he was buried. He didn't see a lot of time. Uh, so it'll be interesting to keep tabs on him at Wisconsin and, and you know, what he can develop into, uh, you know, hopefully being given some more responsibility, some more opportunity to uh, produce and, and kind of be more of a, a an impact on a team. Um, you know, he didn't really get that at, at the National Development Program. And, uh, you know, I think he's one of the guys that I was, you know, had in mind talking earlier that, you know, how good are some of these players that, you know, he was drafted, you know, was he drafted because he was on this team that, that was so good and had so much talent? Uh, or is he actually that good himself as well? Um, so it'll be one to definitely keep an eye on, you know, as I mentioned earlier, though, I don't, I don't anticipate, uh, you know, him or, uh, Matthew Wedman in the seventh round to really, you know, ever either be involved in the system as a whole or, or ever really rise above, uh, you know, an, an ECHL, AHL type guy. So, uh, don't put too much stock into, into a pick in, in you know, the, you know, mid hundreds. Uh, so it, it is what it is. It, it, there's very few people that are drafted this late that end up being, you know, quality NHL players. So, uh, 
you know, take a kid from a, a team that, that had a lot of talent and played really well and, and see if some of that rubbed off on them. And that's about all you can do. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, that's definitely one way to go about it. And uh, I think a lot of teams take that. And I don't think that's too wrong. But, you know, with the way the Russians are developing prospects lately um, and with who is available on the board and even some of the defenders on the board, there's still guys I had you know, over the defenseman they took in the second round of 52 that were still available at this pick at 137 that they could have added to their team. Um, you know, it feels like a missed opportunity that you're just kind of going for the low-hanging fruit or, you know, you're going for a seventh-round pick, sixth-round pick, you know, 30 picks too early. And, it yeah, kind of, and that kind of felt like some of their other picks. Like, they just... They went too early on a lot of their picks, um, and they could have had a little more diversity, a little more skill mixed in there. Uh, and, you know, just just a couple names. Uh, Lindmark was 137 in, in round round five, and um, Marcus Callion-Kelly went one right at 139, a guy from USHL, a guy who was Bobby Brinks' line mate. Uh, so a lot of scout size saw him as well. Uh, and, and that's the kind of apples-to-apples apples comparison with co- competition they're playing. And uh, his 5-on-5 five five stats look really good. His points per 60 look really good. And uh, the way he finishes plays, he's going to go... Uh, I don't know whether he's going to go into the NCAA, staying in the USHL, or going back to Finland, but there's a lot of possibilities and flexibilities in th- his development. That would have been a pretty good pick there. Um, you know, and... Matev Guskov yeah. from London Knights, you know, another center. Kirill Schleppitz was still available. Roman Baikov, Martin Haas were defenders that uh, I think would have been valuable to get at that level um, right there. Yeah, you know, when I say, you know, it, I'll pick that late and everything, I, I'm fine, you know, kind of throwing away. You know, I, at least, you know, the better play would be to go with someone, you know, higher skilled and at least right. take a stab on skills part rather than, you know, safety and uh, you, you know, responsible play. That that that's not a, a time to pick someone that that plays a good two way game. Uh, when you're when you're that late in the draft, you you just go for high highest skill player, and uh, hopefully you can get them to develop and, and refine their skills and become something. Um, you know that that's the kind of pick I'd be you know happier with it and better uh, could uh, you know digest it better if if they threw it away in that sense of. You know, at least just take, you know, someone with a high high amount of skill that that was still available. Uh, a lot of those names that you mentioned, uh, you know, especially uh, Kirill Sleppitz, I, I certainly would have taken a, a chance on him at that at that time because I do think uh, he is a player that might be able to be molded into a, an NHL player from from that late in the draft. Right, and, and you know, obviously, let's let's couch what we're saying in our opinions in the greater scheme of things that Owen Lindmark's going to take a lot long, longer to get to professional hockey than Kirill Schleppitz. Uh, and some of these other guys may have um, taken. So there's a lot of balancing their, their depth chart and making sure not everybody's hitting the AHL at the same time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that that's something to consider that Florida maybe is trying to stagger uh, and and delay and take longer term forwards right now. Uh, I'm not sure this is necessary as you know Philadelphia who's doing the same approach, but they have you know way more 
high end and uh, way more Fords total. I don't know if they have the high end Fords that, that Florida has, but maybe that balances out the same. Um, round six and seven, Florida did what they have done lately, but they made one change instead of going after European overagers, European guys for their AHL team. They realized they're not going to be willing to slep up and down the bus uh, on I-95 um, from Springfield to Providence and all these other um, towns uh, to play some AHL hockey. Uh, so they went with some good old Canadian boys who definitely will be willing to grind it out to keep the dream alive. Uh, in Kitchener and Seattle, uh, centers Greg Mirrorless and Matthew Wedman. Um, Mirrorless, Mirrorless. Uh, I'm just trying to give them as many options as possible. Mirrorless. Uh, I'm guessing they they this is like Timo Meyer's name, and they were like, "Oh, that sounds good." Um, both both uh, eligible for the AHL next year and uh, don't have to go back to the CHL, and I think that's attractive for Florida. Uh, at, at least. Yeah, once it gets to almost pick 200, uh, you know, I don't think it, uh, you know, like you said, I, I mean, I guess you get a body for, for your AHL team or your ECHL team uh, more so than if you went European. But, uh, you know, Wedman, I, I, I don't anticipate ever, you know, seeing or hearing his name outside of the draft. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. The, the seventh round is, you know, very, very seldom you get, you know, anything out of out of the seventh round. So, and the, the Panthers already have uh, one of theirs in Weegar. So, uh, you know, I don't anticipate them hitting on this one. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just too difficult and too hard to find a player that uh, has NHL potential that late in the draft. And, uh, you know, I think at that point, too, you, you know, they mentioned it during the draft on television that uh, it seemed like some of the, the GMs and, and the draft tables were ready to pack it up and, and go home by that point. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you said, it, it, this is more for the AHL team and, and just getting uh, guys who might be career AHLers. And like you said, you know, the Maxim Mommins, the Henrik Hoppelas haven't, the Sebastian Repos haven't really worked out at the HL level. They've gone home. They've preferred Europe. Um, and, you know, the Blaine Byrons, those types of guys have come back, have signed more contracts, you know, have done well, the Anthony Grecos, etc. And while they might not have as much NHL potential as a Mammon, a Hapala, uh, or maybe they do in your estimation, you know, who knows. But maybe, you know, for us, they don't. Um, but... For the Panthers, they might have more value because they're going to sign a few contracts and fill up a couple AHL roster spots and pot some goals and not be, um, you know, like Wedman, you know, and, and Merlis have some skill at the CHL level uh, and they work hard. And if they can, you know, transition that into, you know, the AHL in their, you know, mid-20s, they, they might be good support players uh, for prospects and stuff. And, it's going to be hard to get people to go to Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, consummate professionals, guys in the AHL who um, get paid six figures, you know, almost $200,000 or, you know, over $200,000 to play in the AHL. It's going to be hard to get them to go to Springfield. And uh, Florida isn't really the team to make those types of contracts. So um, drafting and develop and getting these guys is probably the best way for them to get those, you know, mid-20, late-20 
year-old um, AHL veterans that can produce and and show the prospects what they do and how to transition from, say, Seattle, uh, like Henrik uh, Rubinsky or Kitchener or what have you. And, and that is the draft this year. Um, and, you know, I think I'm not really going to give a grade uh, to the last two picks um, just because I, I don't think they're mainly prospects. I think they're trying to do something else with those picks, and, and that's fine. But, you know, I, I do think that they're not wasted picks, but I would have done something completely differently. Like you said, I would have gone for home run swings, gone for those high-end Europeans, uh, guys who I think will have a lot of value and maybe be third, fourth-round picks next year, and I'll rather just use a seventh this year and, and help develop them. Um, but overall, you know, the, Spencer Knight is is a good enough pick um, with the potential to be a home run. Uh, Colin Akonok, uh I'm just going to say that different ways, but Vladislav um, Fitz is could be a decent prospect. And Schwinn uh, is getting a lot of love from people who would support PCS and, and understand what that's about. Um, and then we also kind of like Berger and Rabinsky. So it's, you know, it's one of the better drafts well, if you're looking. It wasn't the best, but it wasn't the worst. If, if, yeah, and if yeah. you're counting if you're counting all, you know, 20, what, 6, 27 drafts in Florida Panthers history, this would definitely be on the better half uh, and the better third. And, and it's important to remember that, you know, it does, you know, it would fit into that, that better realm of, of Panthers drafts because it's finally one um, that – while there was a few immediate needs that kind of needed to be addressed, they weren't really in a position to, uh, you know, deal with that through the draft. Those are more free agency problems and, you know, NHL roster construction problems that, uh, you know, it was nice to finally not uh, feel the need to have an NHL player come from the draft uh, that needs to be on the roster next year. You know, that, that is a big relief and a big, uh, you know, it does help make this draft seem a little better. And it does help, uh, you know, the feelings that we have that we need to wait uh, to really judge this draft. Uh, and that's a good thing this time around. Yeah. And it also lets you know that they think that they're going to either address um, their defensive needs because, you know, like the the only player that they could need in, before the three, four years that all these guys, like Spencer Knight, Colin Akonok, uh, Ludwig, you know, a lot of these guys to be impactful NHL players is going to be three, four, maybe even five years uh, for that to happen. Uh, but you thought at 13 they could get a defenseman who would be ready next, you know, not maybe 2019, 2020, but 2020, 2021 season. Uh, and maybe they could have got that in Hanola or Harley or somebody like that. Um, but, you know, I, I think this means that they're committed to going out and trading for a Pesci, uh, a Clefbaum, you know, just trying to, to, to force that and, and bring somebody in. Maybe it's TJ Brody. Maybe, you know, who knows who it's going to be. Maybe they shake loose Proverall or Sanheim from Philadelphia uh, in a trade. But I think they can do something. Uh, and, and will do something because they definitely didn't draft like uh, they need no, that. Yeah, yeah. They need they that guy that to come player. through because, you know, I think realistically, I know they like a lot of their D picks. I know they like Kanunin, um, 
who I think, you know, had a really good year and I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, this quickly that he'd start to show his value. Um, they really like Stillman. They kind of like Shemtish enough. I still like Shemtish enough um, that, you know, I think they, but they're realistic that those guys aren't the solution either. They're, they're possible NHL players. They're guys worth the time and guys who you could see in a Panthers uniform for sure. Um, but they're, they're not going to be the potential Ekblad partner, uh, most likely. Uh, and, you know, they're not going to be that top 4D they need to go out and get, and they've been saying they need to go out and get. Um, so that it's at least signifies that they, they think they can get it done in uh, in the trade market this offseason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it now, I mean, it's definite, and I think it always was that, they wanted an established NHL defenseman in that role. So, you know, they were never going to get up to the draft and, and they're going to have to uh, uh, work some magic uh, this offseason and, and try and get a roster that, that's better equipped to to compete with a team like Boston and Tampa Bay and, and Toronto for the playoff spots. Yeah, absolutely. Final thoughts leaving the draft. Um, you know, I put a lot of hours into this draft class and I – I definitely had a certain idea of how Florida would attack it and how this draft class would go. And if I don't look at it too specifically and don't look at individual teams like the Florida Panthers or individual players like one of my guys of Valerie Rassanen that went undrafted, uh, but instead look at it, you know, at what they were able to accomplish in the general overall. You know, Florida had the general overall tack I thought they would have and what they wanted them to have. They had a lot of centers, a lot of D. Um, and they got a goalie, uh, and they went long-term, and they went PCS. They went, you know, let their scouts have their day, uh, and I think that's good. Um, but I didn't, the, I didn't like the goalie at 13. I didn't like how much risk they had. I didn't like that they kind of undercut some of the skill they could have added in by going European and sticking to just North American uh, skater lists. Um, so to speak, you know, they just, they didn't look at the European skater list. It looks like, um, you know, just judging by the after results. Um, but you know, there's, this is a big range of where the draft could end up. It could be a C minus, it could be a B minus, it could be, you know, an A minus if, if night hits and, and they get, you know, one of these D to hit and a center to hit, uh, it could even be in, you know, an A plus. Um, so who knows, but I definitely think, you know, a lot of people are saying don't have any contacts around this draft, don't have any nuance. There's enough to question, there's enough to scratch your head about and worry about, and there's definitely some other reasonable options uh, that were good, um, but obviously no one's wringing their hands complaining about it, and as soon as, you know, free agency kicks around, we're all going to forget about it for, for a while. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, there is enough to be hopeful about in this draft, too, as you mentioned, uh, some of those guys that they hit, uh, you know, make for a pretty good draft. So, you know, it, it was, I, I think, kind of anticlimactic from, from what we wanted and what we expected and what's been kind of the recent past for the Panthers in the draft. Uh, you know, it was a lot more immediate and a lot more gratifying or not, uh, you know, and it was that was apparent the day of and the day after the draft. And, and this one... Uh, it just doesn't have that. It is going to take some time to be able to accurately judge it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, the immediate, 
dissatisfaction. And like you were saying, there wasn't that immediate gratification like a Dennis Anko, Sarah Noel kind of provide, or, um, you know, in other years, like a Barkov, Huberto, Ekblad type provide. So, you know, but Spencer Knight definitely has the that ability to turn into that over time. So it's not like we're going bereft without it. It's not like we completely took a loss in Krause and, and we're just not going to even have that. Um, so like you said enough to be hopeful um about i think you know that's that's good enough for this podcast we'll get together uh i think it's probably to talk some bobrovsky and panarin when when necessary um they're coming into town monday there's conflicting reports about whether they're meeting the team monday whether they're meeting the team with talon monday whether they're meeting the team without talon monday and towns meeting them later in the week uh, so John Shannon put out a note from town saying that town was meeting them Thursday when everybody on Sunday um, was saying that it was, or everybody on Saturday was saying uh, Monday was the big meet in Florida. So it's silly season. There's going to be a lot of conflicting reports, a lot of this and that, uh, and you can't trust anything until um, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. I think I said that three times this podcast. But uh, once it happens then we'll know for sure. And until you're told otherwise, Florida's the head, the, the front runners for both Panarin and Bobrovsky. It's not New York. It's not any other teams. No team needs a goalie as much as Florida. No team can afford to give as much to Bobrovsky as Florida. No team has the tax incentives, the, the Russian players, his friends like Florida that can also be in the playoffs. And with Panarin, it's even more leaning in the favor of Florida because they have the coach, the friends like Dadunov. Uh, they have Borowski, and they can fit Borowski, and they can pay both of them. So, uh, you know, don't fret. It's still looking good. Don't listen to anyone else. There's going to be, you know, I'm sure you're going to hear big names like Florida and Montreal. I mean, not Florida. I'm sure you're going to be hearing big names like Philadelphia and Montreal and, and maybe even a big Western Conference team like Chicago uh, in the Panarin sweepstakes and stuff. But, you know, that's just to drive up clicks and, you know, you expect it. Don't don't listen to it. Thank you for joining me, Matt. Uh, I really appreciate you being back on. And uh, next year in Montreal, I think uh, we'll be able to do a live podcast. going back up, yeah. Um, anything you want to say uh, before you leave us, Matthew, before we close this extended, long draft wrap-up? No, I'm excited to, uh, you know, get back on uh, once free agency uh, starts and gets, uh, you know, some signings rolling and uh, we can really actually start looking forward to, you know, what teams are going to look like next year, uh, you know. The off season is definitely the worst part of the year, and uh, you know at least the weather's nice uh, to help through it. But uh, you know I'm excited to you know move past the season uh, and uh, look forward to the next one, and, and hopefully it'll be uh, better for us uh, for the Panthers. Yeah, and absolutely uh, go Spencer Knight. Um, the one thing I did want to kind of finish this podcast on because uh, I did I I didn't remember to ask this. What is some comparable level, some comparable NHL goalies, the level of goalie Spencer Knight needs to reach to make this 13th overall pick uh, worthwhile? Because, you know, it, it it's kind of a higher level for goalies uh, than than skaters, I think. So, you know, I think we were talking about some, some, some goalies, uh, but, but 
you know, some names people would know uh, of a talent level, a career uh, that, that Spencer Knight kind of needs to meet to make this really worth it. Yeah, you know, the the ones that immediately spring to mind, you know, he has to, you know, be a, you know, if at least top half, if not, you know, a top third or, or even better uh, in the league for, you know, stretches of time, you know, not just for one or two years, but for over the course of, you know, five, eight years, uh, I think, and, and, you know, I think that all has to be on Florida, you know, with Florida to make it worth the pick. Uh, you know, na- names that I immediately thought of, you know, Mika Kiprasov, uh, you know, Evgeny Dabakov, uh, Nikolai Havipul, and uh, those types of goalies that had long, uh, really good careers. Where they Mark Andre Fleury, just to not yeah, to Mark Andre, Yeah, Mark Andre Fleury, uh, you know, for Pittsburgh, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, someone that someone that for you know 10 plus years played on on pretty much the same team and and had a lot of success uh you know maybe won some individual trophies maybe not you know i'm not too concerned about that um but uh you know definitely regular season and uh at least a little bit of postseason success as well uh you know he's definitely not a goalie i think you know it wouldn't be worth it if you ended up you know, trading him before, uh, you know, he was a UFA or before his first UFA contract is up. Uh, I do think it has to be, you know, he needs to be a Panther starting goaltender for, uh, you know, like a decade, uh, you know, for it to be uh, kind of worth it and, you know, meaningful uh, at 13 and, and especially with some of the other guys that were around. Um, but you know, I'm excited. Uh, I can't wait to, to watch it, watch this development and, and see if he does live up to it. You know, understandably, I think there are concerns that, uh, goalies are often overhyped like that. And, uh, you know, whether it's because of that pressure or, or, or what, uh, or they were never that good to begin with, they don't live up to it. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see, you know, hopefully some stability in the, in the Panthers goal, goal crease and, uh, on the back end, and I, I just hope he's ready in enough time to give uh, some of the guys that we have on our team now, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, several cracks at, at trying to win a Stanley Cup uh, before they either get priced out or get fed up uh, playing in South Florida. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just important to note that we're not talking, he doesn't need to be Carey Price. He doesn't need to be Marty Brodeur. He doesn't need to be the best of his generation. Um, we're just saying he needs to be the Bakoff, Kippersoff. He just needs to be one of the best of his generation, a household name in his generation, a, you know, like you said, a top third of the starters uh, in his generation. And that's definitely possible. And, you know, when a goalie hits, a goalie hits for 60 minutes a night and, uh, you know, has a big impact on the game. So when you hit, you really hit. Uh, and that's what really Florida's hoping to do. And obviously Florida is thinking long term with this. They're not thinking uh, that they're trading him or he's not going to be, you know, 26, 27 in the Florida Panthers uh, jersey, which is obviously the, the right, right way to go about it. Um, so, yeah. Let's just uh, let's end that while we're thinking good and positive about Spencer Knight. Uh, hope he wins the Hobie Baker as an Eagle in BC next year uh, in the NCAA. Um, you know, a championship, a Hobie Baker, and you know, a and then decides to call it quits because he's got nothing else to prove in college and uh, keeps moving forward on that development. Yeah, that would be ideal, and that's what we're all rooting for. Uh, good night, good hockey. 